Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Surprise, surprise. If you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, you already know this. I don't have to tell you this, but I will remind you of it because it's my job. The enemy is coming for you. He's waiting at the gate. Who do you have in your life who's willing to shove you in that basket, so to speak, and get you over the wall? Who are the ones who are watching your back and they're praying for you continually? And who are you praying for continually? Have you ever had someone in your life that you knew that you could count on? Maybe even more than yourself. Everyone needs someone in their life who will stand up for them, even when the going gets rough. Pastor James reminds us today how important it is to have someone who will be a prayer warrior for you will advocate for you when it's needed. Just being a Christian, you're asking for the enemy to attack. Don't be so naive to think that you can take on Satan by yourself. You need the support that only prayer can provide. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 9 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Disciple means student. So let's take away the religious, weird ambiguity of that word. Disciple means student. So we're all called to make disciples. There's no getting around it. Jesus said himself in the end of the Gospels to his followers, go and make disciples. Okay? Period. That's the command. So we ought to be making disciples. Paul is obeying that command. He is making disciples. Now, they're not technically disciples of Paul in that sense. They are disciples following Jesus as they follow Paul, as he's teaching them and showing them and demonstrating to them what it means to be a believer. Christians should have disciples. You should. You should. You should be discipled by someone. You should have somebody in your life who mentors you, who speaks into your life, who is teaching you and training you and all that good stuff. You have to have that. But you also need to be raising up others. You need to be investing in the lives of others. And that's the best term I, I, I think is used to describe discipleship. It's investing in others. Who are your disciples? Who are your disciples? Who are you teaching the Lord to? Who are you modeling good Christian, Christ-centered behavior in your life to? Who's following you? Because there might just come a day when maybe a plot has been devised against you. And what you want is somebody who has your back, who has your best interests in mind and says, you know what? They're coming for you. And we know that the, all the attacks aren't, especially concerning the, the, the church and Christian realm, they're not physical, they're, they're spiritual. So who's praying for you? Who's watching your back in that sense? You got to have it. You got to have it. Because the enemy's coming for you. Surprise, surprise. If you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, you already know this. I don't have to tell you this, but I will remind you of it because it's my job. The enemy is coming for you. He's waiting at the gate. 
Who do you have in your life who's willing to shove you in that basket, so to speak, and get you over the wall? Who are the ones who are watching your back and they're praying for you continually? And who are you praying for continually? Can you pray for me, please? Because I need that. I need that. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I'll admit it. I need, as a pastor, my goodness, I can't even begin to describe to you the warfare that myself and my family face. I can't even begin to describe it to you. So I'll take it. I'll take the prayers. I'll take all the prayers you can give to me. I will take it gladly. Because what we're learning four years, almost five years into this thing, we need it. We need it. You need somebody who's watching your back. You have to have that. You have to have that. But you got to be investing in other, other people as well. So, so please do that. Here's what's crazy. Saul's not, he's leaving Damascus. That's a good thing, right? You don't need to stick around. If people are trying to kill you in a town, it's not the best idea to stick around there, okay? So, you know, count it off. But here's, here's Saul trying to like, I'm, I'm going to reach the Jews. I'm going to reach the Jews because I want to reach the Jews. I want to reach my brothers. And so he's trying in Damascus. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. They just want him dead. Verse 26, then Saul arrived in Jerusalem a city he knew very well, also a city where it'd be very dangerous for him to go back to. Because I can promise you this, word has gotten back to Jerusalem concerning the events in his life. He tried to meet with the believers. Some, say, some of the translations say disciples. We don't know which disciples you know, or any of that, but he tries to meet with the believers, but they are all afraid of him. Of course they are. They thought he was only pretending to be a believer, right? Because what a great plan. It could be a mole, right? You can like sneak into there and, and do all that stuff. But no, they're like, listen, uh, he's saying all the right stuff, and he seems less angry. So I don't know. Maybe he's just a really good actor. So we're not, we don't trust you. Here's what's cool about this. Just to continue on concerning who's got your back, Barnabas. Barnabas shows up for the first time, as far as we know, in Paul's life. It says, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus. Barnabas also told them what the Lord had said to Saul and how he boldly preached in the name of Jesus in Damascus. This is Barnabas speaking on behalf of Saul. This is not Saul talking to the apostles, pleading his case. The beauty of this part of the story is Barnabas who means son of encouragement, basically, comes alongside Saul and says, no, 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 hold on, guys. Let me vouch for him. Let me tell you his story. He, he had to have already known it or he heard about it. We don't know if he heard about it from Saul or if it maybe came secondhand, but Barnabas is already up to speed with every single detail of Paul's testimony. What an amazing thing it is when somebody who is closely connected to you, in this case, this is basically two strangers coming together, but somebody close to you comes alongside you and says, no, no, let me tell you their testimony. That's phenomenal. That's, that's crazy. We don't have those kind of moments, right? Sometimes we'll do like a testimony kind of service, right? We'll give you, you know, three to five minutes, kind of keep it short. Nobody ever does, but whatever, um, of like, share your testimony. What's your testimony, okay? But how great would it be if we did a testimony night where it's like, okay, you come up here and share their testimony. 
Well, what does that mean? What does that require of you? Well, you actually have to know people. Not in church. Yeah, that's kind of the point of this thing. It's like to know each other and to know each other's stories. We, and I, we're a small congregation, you know, so there's not many excuses for us. My encouragement to all of us is get to know each other in the congregation so well that you know somebody else's story, that you can tell their testimony. Whose testimony could you get up here right now and tell? That's a hard thing, right? Because, I mean, I know my testimony, and I know of other people's testimonies. But I'm not talking about, like, you know, Charles Spurgeon. I don't, we don't, I don't want you to share his testimony. He was a great dude, prince of preachers and all that good. No, 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 not his. No, somebody really close to you that maybe is still alive, that might be encouraged by that fact that somebody actually listened to me when I shared my story. This is what Barnabas does to Paul. He comes alongside Paul. He says, hold on, fellas. Let me tell you all about this guy. Let me tell you all about this guy. Incredible. Incredible. Do not miss that. Write that down. Right? Take a little, put a little star in your Bible. That is amazing. Amazing. Verse 28 says, the apostles accepted Saul, and after he was constantly with them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, so nothing has changed for him. He's still going for it. He's still preaching and proclaiming boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29, he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews. These are the Hellenists, okay? The Hellenists. They're more of, they may be more of like the liberal ones, okay? So this is timely. We live in a country that's really divided. Whatever. I don't know what your political stance is. I don't really care. Um, but in this story, you got the Hellenists, which would be way more on the liberal side of things. Then you have the Jews that wanted to kill Paul in the beginning of the story, where we started. They're way more on the traditional side. Isn't it fascinating that all you're trying to do is just talk about Jesus, and both sides of the parties want to kill you. That's amazing. It's amazing how that works. Um, wouldn't be surprised if that's the future of our beautiful little nation. Just saying, the name of Jesus uh, may not be becoming all that popular. But what will you do? What will you do with it? Paul's like, I'm just going to keep talking about him. Those guys up there, they want me dead. These guys down here, he's about to find out, well, these guys want me dead too. So what do I do? I just stop talking about them so I can you know, live a quiet, peaceful life and no issues, no troubles. No, no, no. No. I think I'm just going to talk about them more. I think I'm just going to talk about them more. These guys tell me not to. Those guys tell me not to. Both are threatening to take my life. You know what? Come and take it if you can. His life is in the Lord's hands. But he's debating with these Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists, but they plotted to murder him. Because why? Because they couldn't contend with him. They could not contend with him. Paul was an amazing guy, an amazing guy, absolutely, incredibly gifted, incredibly gifted. Most of the New Testament, written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was penned from his pen. He wrote most of the New Testament. Incredible, tremendous thinker. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And these guys can't even, I mean, they can't even compete with him. So their, their conclusion is, well, let's just kill him. There's no way we can speak against him. If it's a debate, we lose every time. So what do we do? Well, just, just kill him. Verse 30, when the believers heard about it, however, they took him to Caesarea, 
and sent him on to his hometown of Tarsus. They're like, Saul, listen, buddy, we love you. Um, but we think it's for your best, your own good, that maybe you go far away. And it says, verse 31, the church had, then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and it grew in strength and numbers. The believers were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit when he left. When he left. Have you ever been a part of something that you have given your life to? Just given your life to. And it was good. But then when the time came for you to leave, it got really good. It got better. And you're just like, Wayne, oh, was it me? Like, um, was, was I the problem? I just, we just lived this story. We left, we're in Amarillo, Texas, Grace Community Church. Well, it's, it's legal name. It's Grace Church. But it's growing. I mean, things are happening. It's crazy. Things have never been better. And the Lord says, all right, time to go. Okay. Well, I hope they make it, right? I mean, <laughs> I hope those guys, I hope they can, you know, Bill in 35, 40 years of church, I hope he'll be able to figure this thing out without me. I mean, how is he going to do it? But uh, no, not at all. You come down here, and then it's like explosion, explosion. Youth group, never been bigger than, than it was, never been bigger. They're, now they're expanding the building, and they're blowing out walls in the building, and it's growing, it's 1,000 people, all this stuff, and you're like, wait, what's... Was I in the way of that? Like, hold on. I gave you like 14 years of my life. Was, was I? No, 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 no. The Lord just needed you down here because he's got to work on you down here. And he's got a whole other plan for those guys up there. So they don't even worry about that. You can imagine Saul as he gets on that boat to head back to Tarsus. And if reports are getting back to him, it's like, man, it's never been better. Man, it has never been better. It's crazy how, how big the church is getting. It's growing. It's spreading out. Judea, Galilee, Samaria. It's strength and numbers. It's never been better. And all while Paul is on a boat back to Tarshish. It's perseverance, though. It's perseverance. That's what, that's what matters. In your walk with Jesus, it's perseverance. It's faithfulness. In commitment to him in one direction, just staying focused on him and following him, regardless of what happens in your life. And I'm telling you this, things are going to happen in your life. They're going to try to knock you off that track. It's going to happen, but it's perseverance. It's staying faithful to him, saying, you know what, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens. I could strike out here. I could strike out there, but I'm just going to keep following you. And you hold on because you never know what's going to happen in the distance. And you never know what's going to happen over that course of time, why he's working on you during the silent years, the silent years that we hate. But it's in those silent years where you grow the most. But oftentimes, you have no gauge of that. Here's Saul, strike out in Damascus, going for the Jews, struck out there. Going for the Jews in Jerusalem, struck out. And we can go back to his calling. And the Lord had made this clear to him in the sense of, he's like, listen, Paul, I got you for the Gentiles. Now, Paul's mode of ministry and method of ministry was anytime he went to a city, he would always go into the synagogues. He would always go to the Jews first. And they would always usually run him out of town, OK? But he loved 
his brothers, loved his brothers. But he was called to the Gentiles. That was where he was going to make the greatest impact. So much like the story of that swimmer I shared earlier, that lady was, man, she was made for long-distance swimming. But what she wanted was fast. What she wanted was the Olympic ones, the shorter races. That's what she wanted. But you can't succeed there. That's not, what it, that's not where it's at for you. You are made for the long distance. For you and I, we will butt up against this frustration in our, in our walks with the Lord all the time. Because we want this, but yet God has created us for this. And it's hard for us to be content with this. It really is. But you and I need to understand, and, and sometimes it just takes time. But you need to understand, Whatever he has made you for and geared you towards, that's what you need to embrace. You might want this over here, but that may not be what, what he has for you. And that could end up in frustration. And ultimately, like our, the story of our swimmer, it could cause you to quit. It could cause you to quit. And you know when you're passionate about something, especially something like swimming, I love swimming, love, love swimming. But when you get so frustrated that you just give up on all of it, that's not where you want to be. It's not where you want to be. The Lord is working on Saul, and he's going to get him back to Tarshish. And then he will come back to Jerusalem. He will come back to Jerusalem. And, and let me just read you this from Galatians, because I do have the actual, I had the right reference in 2 Corinthians. I just, maybe the Spirit just didn't want me to share that. I don't know. But that page went blank. Um, but Galatians, this is what he says. He says, I'm going to just pick up in verse, verse 11. I'm just going to read this through this for you guys. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, I solemnly assure you that the good news of salvation which I preach is not based on mere human reasoning or logic. For my message came by a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself, road to Damascus, okay? No one else taught me. Three years in Arabia, who was his teacher? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted the Christians. I did my best to get rid of them. I was one of the most religious Jews of my own age, and I tried as hard as possible to follow all the old traditions of my religion. But then something special happened, or something happened, for it pleased God in his kindness to choose me and call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. Then he revealed his son to me so that I could proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When all this happened to me, I did not rush out to consult with anyone else, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. No, I went away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. It was not until three years later that I finally went to Jerusalem for a visit with Peter and stayed there with him for 15 days. And the only other apostle I met at that time was James, our Lord's brother. You must believe what I am saying, for I declare before God that I am not lying. Then after the visit, I went north into the province of Syria and Cilicia. And still, the Corinthians and the churches of Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that the people were saying, the one who used to persecute us now preaches the very faith he tried to destroy. And they gave glory to God because of me. Then verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. Remember him? 14 years later. 
14 years later. And Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I talked privately with the leaders of the church. I wanted them to understand what I had been preaching to the, to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that they did not disagree or my ministry would have been useless. And they agreed. They did agree. They did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So here's the Apostle Paul. And he speaks of this moment where he had to go back to Tarsus. It didn't mean that he stopped serving the Lord. He was still serving the Lord faithfully there. But everything had to change in his life. His focus changed. He even said it. He's like, I was teaching, I was proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. And it wasn't until 14 years, that's 14 years later, that I got to come back to Jerusalem to do what? To start planting churches. It wasn't until 14 years later. Let's not forget this time frame, people. Because we want everything now. It's got to happen now. When I read the Bible, I think, oh, this happens now. Like then, you know, chapter, you know, we're going to get through chapter 10 and then chapter 11, and Saul's going to show back up, and he's going to go on these missionary journeys and all this. That happens 14 years down the road. Do not give up on Jesus where you're at. What year are you in? What year? He might still be working on you. Perseverance is key. Perseverance is absolutely key. Because you might be stuck somewhere in the middle of 14 years. You might be on year seven. You're like, seven years? My goodness, I can't wait that long. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And yes, you have to. Because you can't go until he calls you to go. Any effort beyond that is just going to end up in frustration and destruction. It's, it's maddening to have to wait that long, and that's, you know, that's part of it. We, we, we want everything now, now, now. Okay, Lord, I'm following you. I'm giving you my life. Call me now. Send me now, 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 now. And he's like, no, nah, no, no. I think I just need to work on you for a while and prepare you for what I have. Because Paul will literally go from here, and he will turn the world upside down for Jesus. He will plant all these churches he will go on these three missionary journeys, all these disciples, all these converts, all these letters written. It was in the waiting, though. Without the 14 years, you don't get the rest of this story. So hold on. So just hold on. You might have struck it out here. You may have struck it out there. Maybe what we all just need to learn to do is just to sit quietly at his feet and say, OK, Lord, what do you want from me? And when do you want that to happen? Help me just to be okay with the waiting until that happens. Does it mean we stop serving him? Not at all. Saul was still serving in Tarsus. He was still proclaiming the gospel. He just wasn't the church planter until all that work needed to be done in and through him. So we might miss that going through Acts. And I really felt like that was like the Lord was like, no, this is what we need to know. We need to know this today, that you do not give up because you might be just one mile away from the shore, and you don't want to call it quits one mile away when you're swimming from Catalina Island to California. You don't want to do that. You just hold on. You just hold on. You just hold on. The fog will lift. Clarity will come. It will come. But you hold on. Don't give up. Persevere. That's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. 
We're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James Grizzle teaches through the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again or listen to more verse-by-verse teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. At Calvary Galveston, we strive to love and live as Jesus did. We're just ordinary people discovering extraordinary truths from the Bible together. As we continue to journey through the book of Acts, our prayer is that your faith is inspired to move, that when you read about the early church, you rediscover the purpose that God has for your life. You might think you're just ordinary, but God sees you deeper and He knows that you're more than that. Being obedient to the calling that God has on your life might not always make sense, but God blesses those who are faithful to answer His call. And you never know what incredible things God has in store when you freely say, Yes, Lord. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit. Or if you're looking for a new church home, you're always welcome. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to start the week out right with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. Find out more and plan your visit by going to our website, breadforthebroken.com. As you go throughout the rest of your day, may you find hope and new life in Jesus.